This is my Bible. I believe what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I am a believer and not a doubter. A doer, not just a hearer. Today, I will learn from God's word. And my life will never be the same. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Man, that was a good sermon. Uh, Brother Greg, I have it here. I'm going to preach it again. <laughs> uh, let's quickly now go to Philippians chapter number 4. Uh, we're going to read from verse 6. We are still talking about the worry-free life. Amen? Uh, we said last week that about 75 to 90% of all doctor's visits were stress-related, according to the study that they did in South Africa. Amen? So most of the people that end up in the doctor's office, they actually did not have anything wrong with them until they worried or were anxious about something and opened that door. Amen? And because of that, we discover also in Scripture that Jesus had something to say about it. He said, don't worry about what you shall eat, what you shall wear, or where you shall sleep. He said, look at the birds of the air. They neither toil nor gather into barns. But yet your heavenly father looks after them. And he said, look at the grass of the field. And he said, even Solomon in all of his glory was not as clothed as some of this. And yet your heavenly father treats you more than the grass of the field. Amen. And we said the first point that we learned from Jesus uh, when he told us not to worry was that he said, don't worry, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Amen. The Apostle Paul also had something to say about this. And he says, be careful for nothing. Which simply means, do not worry about anything. Amen? And I want you to notice, the Apostle didn't say, it would be a nice thing. It's a great idea for you not to be careful for nothing. Can you see that? He says it as an imperative, as a commandment. Do not worry about anything. And every time you see a scripture giving an imperative or an instruction... It is because, number one, it is good for you. And number two, you are capable of uh, keeping that commandment. Because God would be unkind for him to ask you to do something that you are not capable for you to do. Amen? So God says, be careful for nothing. Pastor T, what if it's a big problem? He still qualifies. He says, be worried about nothing. He doesn't want you to worry about anything. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer... And supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Now, if you pray, here's what will happen. Verse 7. And the peace of God which surpasses or passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ. Next verse. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue or value, if there be any praise, think on these things. In other words, do not think about your problems. Notice the Apostle Paul didn't say ignore them. He just said don't think about them. Don't spend time thinking about your problems because you will not find any solution. Amen? So last week we gave you two points on our journey to eight points things you can do to counter worry. And the first one was what? Seek ye first the kingdom of God 
And the second one was what? Rest in the promises of God. Amen? Now let's go to First Peter chapter number 5 from verse 6. And I must say this. Worry, and you know, I know some pastors, you know, preach it this way. Do not worry because worry is sin. See, don't worry because it's sin and you have committed sin. No, the reason why God doesn't want you to worry is simply because it's not good for you. Worry is not sin and God actually, genuinely wants you to be happy. Did you know that? A lot of people have not caught this revelation. God genuinely wants all of us to enjoy life. Did you know that? Go with me now before we read First uh, Peter. First Timothy chapter number 6, verse 17. Let me prove it to you first. First Timothy chapter number 6, verse 17. First Timothy 6. Watch what it says. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to what? I didn't hear that. I did not hear that. So God actually wants you to enjoy life. Amen? It is genuine concern for you to enjoy life. He never called anyone to not live a life of enjoyment. First Peter chapter number 5 verse 6. First Peter chapter number 5 verse 6. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you. Now, the word humble is an interesting word. I mean, religion teaches that humility is not putting on makeup. It is wearing a very long dress and not looking after yourself. Uh, they believe humility is driving a broken down car. What are you doing? I'm being humble. No, you're being stupid. Amen. <laughs> What is humility? Humility is simply submitting yourself to the word of God. So here, the apostle Peter is saying, if you submit yourself to the word of God, God will promote you. Watch what he says. How do you, how do you submit yourself to the promises of God in the area of worry? Next verse. See, in fact, stay there. Stay in verse 6. Stay in verse 6. Do you see that he didn't put a period after the word time? Can you see he put a semicolon? You know why? Because he's about to explain what it means to be humble. And here's what it means to be humble. Verse 7. Casting how much? I didn't hear that. I did not hear that. He says, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Being humble is casting all your problems on God. And not trying to fix them yourself. What are you doing now you are being humble? Amen? This is exactly what the Apostle Peter said. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 4 verse 6. He said, be anxious for nothing but in prayer. How do you cast all your problems to God? You pray. Amen? And that's our fourth point. Pray about your issues. Go with me now to James chapter number 5 verse 13. In the NIV, James chapter number 5, verse 13. James chapter number 5, verse 13. Watch what it says. Is any of you in trouble? 
he should call his friend and complain about it. Oh, let me try again. Is any of you in trouble? He should go for retail therapy. I'm just going to go and buy something I don't need to make me feel good about myself. Is that what he said? Is any of you in trouble? Let him worry about it all day. What did he say? Let him what? I didn't hear that. Is any among you in trouble? He should pray. Do you see that? Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. It's this simple to deal with trouble. (laughs) But over here we believe if you are in trouble, you should call someone. Call a friend. Call someone. And God is our final resolve when all else has failed. He said if you are in trouble, it's simple. Let him pray. You know why? Because prayer gives God the authority to come and help you. Did you know that God does not have any right to force himself on, on your issues? In fact, the Bible says in Revelations, he stands at the door knocking so that you may let him in. In fact, right in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the Bible says he, he, he handed over the earth to mankind. He said, let them have dominion. Let them subdue it. In other words, let them run the show. But, then God knew that you were not going to be capable to run the show all the time. I am going to give you a an open channel, an open line that you can call me on so I can help you whenever you need my help. It's like a man who owns a property. You know, if you own a property here in South Africa and uh, you list out that property, that's exactly what God did. He list out the earth to mankind. The Bible says in Psalm 116 verse 15, the heavens and the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth is he given to the children of man. In fact, give it to me. I don't want to quote these. Some of you are thinking I'm just, you know, quoting scriptures that don't exist. Psalm 116, verse 15. He leased the earth to us. Psalms 100 and... Psalms 115, verse 16. 115, verse. Watch what it says. The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's. But the earth is what? I didn't hear that. I did not hear that. Now, if I gave you a car, do you have the right to drive that car wherever you want? And that's what God did. He gave us the earth. And if we have all the authority to run the earth, we can mess it up whichever way you want. God will not budge in to fix the issues until we invite him on the issue. So if you own the property here in South Africa, listed out, had a, a lease agreement, and someone stays in your property, whose property is it? I didn't hear that. Who is the owner of the property? It's yours, right? But you've listed out, right? But the property still belongs to you? Now, if your relatives come from the U.S. for a weekend, and you decide, hey, you know what? I actually have a property that I own. Whose property is it? I actually have a property that I own, and it's mine. I want us to go there and have lunch. You know what? After all, it's my property, right? Can I do that? Why not? And that's what God did. He leased out the earth realm to us and He is not going to budge. Otherwise, you'll be charged with trespassing. 
Just like you will be charged with trespassing. The only way God can get involved in your issues is when you invite him into your issues. That's why the Bible says in Psalm 34 verse 17, when the righteous man shall cry, that word cry is prayer. I shall hear in heaven and I will deliver them out of how much? All of their troubles. But they have to cry. They have to pray. Jeremiah 33 verse 3 says, Cry unto me, call unto me, and I will show you mighty and marvelous things that you know not of. But you have to call him in. Let he who is in trouble do what? Pray. Let him invite God on their issues. I think it was William Booth. He said, God does nothing in the earth realm except in response to prayer. And I have a book that describes and defines what prayer is. How many of you know that prayer is not complaining? Amen. Amen. Prayer is going to God who you know in your heart is concerned about your issues. Prayer is going to God who you know in your heart loves you. How many of you know that God wants you stress-free more than you want to be stress-free? This is why by grace he has already designed that if you keep your mind on him, he will keep you in perfect peace. All you have to do is to tap into that grace. Hunt your neighbor and say pray. pray. Don't complain. Hunch them and tell them pray. pray. Don't talk about it. Talk about it. At tea time. <laughs> is there anyone in trouble? Pray. Now, how hard is that? As an instruction, is that hard to understand? Are you in trouble? Yes, I'm in trouble. Pray. In other words, invite God in on your issues. Amen? I said amen. Let's go now to James chapter number 5, verse 16. Prayer is powerful. Because prayer gives God the right to be Involved in our issues. James chapter number 5, verse 16. This is good stuff. Watch what it says. I'm going to read all the way to verse 18. It says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another. Notice it didn't say, and talk about each other. Did you see that? Oh, let me read it again. Confess your faults one to another so that the other may snitch on you. Is that what it says? No, the reason why we confess our faults one to another is so you can pray for me. See, a lot of people think we don't have problems. You know why? Because my wife and I resolved we'll only share our problems with people that have the capacity and the power to help us solve the problem. I'm not going to share my problems and my issues with someone who, number one, lacks the capacity to help, and number two, who's just a big mouth. You know why? Because they're going to compound the problem. Watch what it says. Confess your faults one to another, and pray for another, that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth. What kind of a prayer is that? And who is a righteous man? He tells you. Next verse. 
Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it did not rain on the earth by the space of three years and six months. Verse 18. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. But go back to verse 17. There's something I want you to see. It says, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. In other words, Elijah was just like you. Yet he understood the power of prayer. He understood the principle of, is anyone in trouble? Let him pray. He just followed the principle. He didn't follow the principle of, is anyone in trouble? Let them pick up the phone and call their girlfriend and discuss the problem. He didn't do that. He understood the principle. Hey, if there's an issue, I just pray about it. And prayer simply means you go before God and say, God, help. In fact, help is a powerful prayer. Just ask God for help. Amen? And he will deliver you out of all of your trouble. So that you may not worry about them. Amen? So if you're writing down notes, number three is pray. The first one, seek the kingdom. Number two, rest in the promises of God. Number three, pray. When worry and anxiety attack, pray about it. And never worry about it another day in your life. Amen? I said amen. Number three, number four. Do not isolate yourself. The Bible says the devil is a roaring lion, seeks to devour you. And the reason why the devil is compared to a roaring lion is because he uses the same principle of isolation. Amen? Go with me to Proverbs 18 verse 1. Proverbs 18 verse 1. In the King James Bible. Through desire, a man having what? Separated himself, seeketh and intermeddles or meddleth with all wisdom. Whenever you draw yourself away from the people of God, you are in trouble. Because the enemy loves for you not to have the encouragement of the brethren. And whenever you are going through something in the church, people in the church like to do this. You know, pastor, I'm not going to be fellowshipping because I'm going through something. No, that's even more reason you should fellowship with others. So they can encourage you and spare you on and say, you can do this. That's why the Bible says when you gather together in a church setting like this, let one come with a song of praise, another with a prophecy, another with a word of knowledge, so that we can edify each other. When you, whenever you see yourself pulling away from the people of God, and you know, and this is an important principle. Let me show it to you. Go with me to Acts chapter number 2 verse 46. This is all the early church did. Acts 2 verse 46. Watch what it says. And they continuing... How many times? Three. I didn't hear that. Three. I did not hear that. Three. They continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and watch this, 
singleness of heart. This is the simple reason why the early church was powerful. You know why? Because they were together all the time in spirit. I'm not in any way suggesting that we should come to church every day. But I'm saying you can be connected in the spirit. There is a reason why we say in this church we want to do life together. There is a reason why we say, hey, meet for life group. How many of you know that one hour how many, how, how long do we meet for church here? Yeah? One hour, 45 minutes? How many of you know that that's not enough food to last the whole week? I mean, how many of you eat just once a day, once a week? Okay, once a day. Okay, once every hour. I mean, even once a day is not enough, right? You have to eat like three times a day. And when you come together and share in the Word of God, you have to do... You have to make that a habit. Amen? Hebrews chapter number 10, verse 25. When you are alone, you are vulnerable. Of course, there are moments you need to be separated from the crowd like Jesus did. But most of your time should be stand together with the other believers. Amen? I said amen. amen. Hebrews chapter number 10, verse 25. Watch what it says. It says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves how much? Together. As the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more, as you see the day approaching. Please give it to me in the Amplified. Not forsaking or neglecting to assemble together as believers, as is the habit of some people. I mean, the church that the Apostle Paul was writing to had a group of people who had made it a habit. And now the man is writing and he's saying, Sister Manuel, your habit of not coming to church. <laughs> Did you see that? He says, it is the habit of some people, but admonishing. Warning, urging, and encouraging one another, and all the more faithfully as you see the day approaching. He's saying even more for the people that are going to come closer to the day that Jesus Christ will return. They even need to meet more often. We discovered uh, two weeks ago that scripture says, as iniquity abounds, the love of many wax cold man we're living in a time where you are bombarded with negative information from every angle and you don't even have to go out and seek for it it comes to you and if you don't have this encouragement i can guarantee you you're going to be discouraged if you don't come in a setting like this to get the word of god on the inside of you i can guarantee you you're not going to win Because the enemy, again, John 10, verse 10, he's coming to steal, to kill, and to destroy. What does that mean? That means we have to be up on our game. The Bible calls it fighting the good fight of faith. One hour, one hour, 45 minutes, a week in the word of God is not good enough for you to fight this battle and win. You have to be established, the Bible says, you have to be planted in the word of God. And let the peace, the word of God, be an umpire over your soul. 
every decision you make has to be based on what God says in His Word. And for you to do that, sometimes you need someone to encourage you. Sometimes you need someone to give you a word of revelation. Sometimes you need someone to prophesy to you. So you can fight off worry and anxiety. Amen? Amen. I said amen. amen. Number four. Number five. Do not be condemned. When worry attacks, do not be condemned. Let's go to Romans chapter number eight, verse one. Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Do you see that? It says to them who are in Christ You need to catch this revelation if you're going to live above condemnation. That your primary location as a believer is in Christ. Seated in heavenly places, far above all worries of the world. Where? In Christ. In other words, when someone calls you the next time and says, Hey brother, how are you doing? Tell them, Hey, I'm in, I'm in Christ. Where are you? I am in Christ in Randbeck. <laughs> Just to emphasize, you know. You know your primary position. In fact, this was the first ever question that God asked mankind. Did you know that? He says, Adam, where are you? Because you've left your place of primary location, which is in Christ. Someone shout, I am in Christ. Seated in him, far above all principalities, far above all the challenges of the world. In Christ. That's where I'm at. What is condemnation? Condemnation brings a sense of guilt, inferiority, and shame. It's a complex that the enemy wants to use against the church. And how does he do that? He makes sure that he brings to your remembrance every single thing that you have gotten wrong. And when you feel condemned, you can't approach God with all boldness. Amen? I said amen. So there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Your righteousness is not is only determined by your positioning in Christ and not what you do. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse 21. Someone shout, I am righteous. I, am righteous. I know someone is getting scared right there. Says, what? Say it again. I am righteous. I am righteous. Not, because not because of what I did, but because of what Jesus Christ did. Listen to me. If you're trying to make it because of your own righteousness, Jesus said it to the Pharisees. He said, listen, the law is not going to save you. Isaiah said it in the Old Testament. He says your own righteousness is as filthy rags in the eyes of God. When you think you're righteous because you are goody-goody two-shoes, you're wrong. The only reason you're righteous is because of what Christ did on that cross. Watch what it says. For he hath made him to be seen for us who knew no sin, that we 
Who, who might be we? The believers, right? That we, the believers, might be made the what? I didn't hear that. So you are made the righteousness of God because of the transaction that took place on the cross. Not because of your actions. Do you see that? I mean, this is a simple equation. God took sin, put it on Christ, so that you and I might participate and become the righteousness of God. It's called a divine exchange. So, if you receive Christ today, what's the date today? 27th? 29th? Of January? 2017? You are as righteous as someone who received Christ 30 years ago. You know why? Because it's not based on your effort. It's based on what Jesus Christ did. And all you have to do is to put your trust in what Christ did. Someone shout, I put my trust in the finished work of the cross. Therefore, I am righteous. Regardless of what I do. And because I am righteous, I can approach the throne room of grace with boldness and confidence to obtain help in times of need. See, if you feel guilty, you're not going to approach God boldly. But if you know you are the righteousness of Christ in Him. See that location again? See, so that you may be made the righteousness of God where? In Him. Everything is in Him. In Him. I am in Christ. And if I keep that at the top of my head, I'm not going to be condemned. And if I'm not condemned, I can walk in boldly into the throne room of grace. I can go in there boldly. The Old Testament people could not do it. Did you know that? Because their holiness was based on their actions. I mean, if you are a Levite, you are a high priest, you could not just walk into the Holy of Holies any kind you want. You had to wear white, uh, perforated garments, right? So that you don't sweat. Because if you broke a sweat in there, God would strike you dead. You couldn't walk in there with a pimple. Yeah, man, when you go into scripture, people that think they can keep the law for themselves, they haven't read the law. Man, you can't keep the law. You know what Jesus said to the Pharisees? He said, if you just look, Baba, if you just look at a woman, you have committed. Man, people who think, ah, oh, me, I can keep the law. They don't know the law. He said, if you just feel a sense of dread for your brother, you've killed. Man, Jesus, God's law is so high. No one could keep it. And that that's the reason why he gave it. So that all of us could realize, hey, I can't do this on my own. And then bingo, the Savior comes on the scene to save you from the law. You can't keep the law. Hunt your neighbor and say, you can't keep the law. <laughs> but tell them Jesus can keep it for you. And if you put your trust in Jesus... You are. Amen. If you put your trust in Jesus, you'll be alright. This man uh, went to heaven and uh, he got to the pearly gates and the apostle Peter asked him, he said, man, why do you think we should let you in, in, into heaven? And he said, because I've been a good man. He says, okay, okay, before you start, here's the deal. You need a hundred points 
for you to make it into heaven. So, uh, shoot, tell us why you think you should make it into heaven. He said, man, I loved my wife, never laid a hand on her, and I took care of my children, and I went to church every Sunday, and I tithed, and the Apostle Peter said, half point. And he said, man, I fasted every beginning of the year for 10 days. I fasted with the saints and I prayed and I did all of this. And then the Apostle Peter said, quarter point. I mean, he was telling all these things that he did. By the time he finished talking about everything he did, he had about one and a half points over a hundred. And then Peter said, man, you're now at one and a half. And the man said, man, if it's like that, then... I just need grace to make it into heaven. And Peter said, bingo. Now you know the reason why you are going to make it into heaven. It is not because of what you do. It is simply because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Amen? Why don't you stand on your feet? Thank you, Jesus.